You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, episode 26, Grace Woodward, from smoke and mirrors to incredible self-reflection and reinvention. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. Looking in from the outside, Grace Woodward appeared to have it all. Her fashion career encompasses raising cult laundry brand Asian Provocateur into the spotlight as their PR agent, working with leading clients and magazines as a stylist, as a judge on Britain's Next Top Model, as fashion director at X Factor, and as a brand director reviving the fashion house of Dame Zandra Rhodes. However, behind the smoke and mirrors, Grace's life was far from perfectly styled. In this podcast, we talk to Grace about her incredible journey of heartfelt passion, pain and self-discovery that is now opening the door for love and acceptance. In addition to this interview, we are honoured to have a listener question from Jade McSorley, a model and co-founder of Lonehood, a peer-to-peer fashion rental company. Jade, who has previously appeared on Britain's Next Top Model, raises some great points around ethics in modelling and what we can do to encourage a healthier industry. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. It's taken us a bit of time to get to this point, as in, you know, about a year since we met, maybe, and uh, arrange and kind of like get together. So thank you for having us at your home, firstly, as well. That's really kind of you. Um, I just wanted to get started about how your entry came into fashion. What point, what moment did you kind of think, this is for me, I love this, or that's where I'm going? Uh, I think... um kind of process of elimination being a a creative a sort of I would sort of say a sort of blanket creative because I can do various different things so it was kind of more like well what do I do with this I can't do anything else you know I, I couldn't I, I my brain doesn't work in that way so I had to find a, a way to be me and try and make a career out of it so I went to um you know I went through school sort of doing the arts and then I decided to go to art school to do a foundation to try to, you know, then again, through a a, a foundation, you can sort of try different things. And so my, and then my thing, I wanted to do fine art and they were like, you're definitely not good enough. So I was gutted, but um, that pushed me into textiles, which I, which, you know, it's like fine art on fabric. Um, And then I went to, I mean, I'm, I knew I was never a designer. I can't design per se, but I could always, I was always dressing up. I was always doing outfits. And I ended up going to London College of Fashion and we did a module on styling. And I suddenly was like, oh, oh, bingo. This, this is what I want to do, um, which combined a visual language and also the sort of a communication, a cultural communication and also the fashion industry having a verbal communication yeah. as well. And a way to shape things and change. And, yeah, um, so you've had like quite a varied career in the sense that you've done Britain's Next Top Model. You've mm. done X Fact. You've you know, shot world-renowned magazines. Mm. Um, how, how has what you've done shaped what you're doing now? And how, how have you taken that forward or looked at that retrospectively and, and kind of moved into what you're doing now and, and, and the emotion behind 
what you were doing at that time, I guess. I mean, I guess I've been working in the fashion industry so long that it, the industry itself has changed yeah. quite a lot. You know, when I first got my first job at Ashton Fogarty, I just graduated from London College of Fashion. I think I was 19. There was no such thing as email. We mm -hmm. still faxed everybody. Uh, so the, the nature of the business was yeah. totally different. Um, I, I feel like with the education system, you, you know, when you're young and you're in school, everyone's just trying to find a, a vocation mm -hmm. for you. What are you good at? What can you go into mm. to do to make money? Obviously, this is the sort of hamster wheel that we're on. And it's kind of quite intense when you're young. Mm. There isn't a kind of thing where you're like, oh, you know, I don't sort of, I don't really know what I want to do or who mm. I am yet. But and you've got to you've pick got to quite early on. Yeah, 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 you've absolutely. Got to choose, yeah. So I chose fashion because it felt, it felt like a place that mm. I could exist alongside other creatives. It felt like a sort of band of, sort of um, creative, like cam there was camaraderie, but that, the, the fashion industry sort of is extremely good at its, its own kind of PR mm -hmm. and smoke and mirror. So what you see from the outside isn't really what happens on the inside, yeah. but it takes you a long time. You know, it took me 10 years of just being determined to succeed. I was like, and you know, and blinkers on, you were just like, and must succeed, success, 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 what, success. What was success at that point to you? I guess, you know, um, I guess, you know, I, I was quite shy at college, you know, to, to pursue those dreams. And everyone's a bit like, you know, I mean, there's never that person because they never really knew what to do. That was like, I'm going to be a lawyer and then you go and study and be a lawyer. But, you know, being a creative, it's a bit like, ah. Um, so the styling thing was, it was very early on in the styling days when, you know, there was, there was fashion editors who obviously mm -hmm. still at that time were very much controlling the messaging that was yeah. going out. It was very much like a, you will wear this, this is out, mm -hmm. this is in kind of thing. And then there were these kind of like rebel creators, people like Judy Blaine coming through that were just changing things up on a sort of, on a, the magazines that I was reading, like The Face and ID, mm -hmm. you could kind of really see this sort of creative explosion yeah. coming and I was like, that's what I want to get involved in. But I was still very shy. Mm. And to really sort of go out and grab that by the balls, I was like, <gasps> you kind of had to be, you kind of had to have a foot in in the industry mm -hmm. anyway, yep. or be quite an extraordinary young person. Mm. I don't know. I don't think I was. But so I, um, I looked for a company that I felt like represented me, a mm -hmm. brand that represented me. And I wanted to work for Westwood, but I was too shy. To and go I, and knock on the door. Yeah, to yeah. be like, hi, hi, I want to work for you. Because it literally is like, hi, hi, I'm great. Uh, and I just wasn't that person. And then I stumbled across Ashram Fogarty and then found out the backstory that Joe was Vivian's son. Yeah. And it was just one moment in Soho one night and it was a Berwick Street shop and I saw this like neon stuff and I was like, oh my God, this is like the inside the of my head. Mm. And so I wrote to them, I wrote them a letter and just was really passionate about it. And they started me on like literally no money and just doing bits and bobs. And I so worked in the shop and I worked in the office because I had varying skills. And I'd worked at the Groucher mm -hmm. Club as I was paying my way through college. And that was like a big yeah. thing, like connections. And, um, and I just sort of grew my way up through that company, mm -hmm. sort of proving, you know, their PR, the girl that was doing the PR left. And I immediately was like... Yeah. I want to do that. And so that kind of grew mm -hmm. that way until I'd been there for about four years. And I felt like I'd learned what I needed to mm -hmm. learn there for that particular part of the fashion mm. industry. And I was kind of yearning to do stuff kind of off my own mm -hmm. kind of thing. 
And so I left to become a stylist. I kind of knew a few people yeah. at that point, and I just sort of did the leap. And I think London at the time, I mean, that must have been like 2001, maybe two. London at the time, you could kind of do that. You know, yeah, you move could, around. Yeah, kind of be, yeah. yeah, and also be able to afford to live and kind of like, you know, sort of scrape by, basically. Basically, yeah. you know, <laughs> live like a sort of creative and but live in the centre of town. Mm. Um, and then, so I was a freelance for like, you know, t in, in the end for like 20 years doing different things. But I was always, I always felt like I was more of a creative consultant. I love the branding side of things. I'm a writer as well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just pure styling that I did. And then as the digital age grew mm -hmm. for fashion, I saw a window of going, fashion is so visual. This is going to go bonkers. And so that's why I decided to get into kind of presenting. Yeah. So the first thing I did was for on off and we did a kind of, you know, hosting and curating thing. And then, you know, and as you've seen now, mm. you know, it's, it's, you can't have it without that. Now. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then I literally <clears throat> landed top model, um, like, like the biggest kind of TV job within mm. the, within the entertainment industry. Yeah. And I didn't really know what I'd got into and it was amazing and completely overwhelming at the same time. So I trod that path for a while. And I did until I did X Factor. And what I felt is going more into the entertainment side of things, they take less seriously the creative and yeah. fashion side of things. And that's why fashion is kind of very special. I mean yeah. that in both ways, in the fact that you have room to create. Mm. The, the uh, creative process is respected. There is, um, you know, there you are, you have the time to research things. And as I did X Factor, that got cut. Mm. And it was very much, I was pushed into doing high street, high street, high yeah. street, high street, high street. And I, you know, yes, I was the first person to get, you know, brilliant vintage and, you know, mm. I, I, any, any kind of like stuff that wasn't just pushing yeah. capitalism, consumerism. I did it. But on the flip side, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it without yeah. having piles of stuff. Mm. And it just, and I just was, I felt like I was sinking under it. I always think about, you know, Labyrinth, that, the bag yeah. lady, but yeah, that's yeah. what I felt like. I was just sinking under this mountain of stuff. Yeah. Mountain of yeah. clothes and stuff. And, and I just, I, I felt like I was losing my grip on why I started working mm -hmm. in fashion, mm -hmm. which was a kind of um, self-expression clothes for me were like an alternative mm, reality yeah. yeah and an alternative personality mm -hmm. when I was young I, I realized that you could manipulate people with what you wear mm -hmm. quite easily literally people take you at surface yeah. value so if you want to dress up like you know top to toe Chanel people think you're rich yeah you know, it's as simple as yeah. that and it's just, it's a real it's a, such yeah. an interesting game to play yeah. but I felt I was really losing touch with the kind of um, what I would had got into a creative industry mm -hmm. for, and so um, I my mental health really started to mm. struggle because I didn't feel like I was like I felt like it was all running away from yeah. me, and I didn't quite know what to do, and I couldn't grab it back. I couldn't suddenly be like I didn't do that because once you do Move. commercial yeah. things like X Factor, you know I was working a lot for the Sunday Times style mm -hmm. doing covers. They're a bit like it's there is a there's a chasm yeah. between commerciality yeah. and creativity and all of a sudden it's like oh that's that's a bit commercial mm. and so almost like it's seen a bit of a dirty thing or, yeah, yeah 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 it's um you know 
commerciality and 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 high fashion have never had a great relationship yeah. um because i feel like you know there is a very maybe a bit of an ivory tower yeah. that sort of high fashion lives on perhaps because it has to justify mm. that by the price point or it's it needs its rare ability yeah. um and so you know there are there's a divide isn't there yeah there's sure, a huge yeah. end yeah, of the yeah. spectrum um you know, luxury is something that we that we I think should talk about. This notion of what luxury yeah. is now. So uh, you know, when I was the, going to catwalk shows a lot, you know, there would be meters and meters of this kind of luxury carpet that mm-hmm. would just be ripped up the minute the fifteen minute yeah, show's over, ripped up, put in it, put in a, a dumpster. <clears throat> And people don't think about that because they're yeah. they're trying to create this magic of this environment with, in which these luxury yeah. clothes should be shown. And I started seeing that, and I was like, "This is kind of gross. This yeah. is really wasteful." And then that started getting worse. Like you've got mm-hmm. set building at Chanel that are building like rockets, and the worst one is like building forests, and you're like, yeah. "This is gone Nuts. bonkers. Yeah. This is truly the Empress New Clothes because it's like." Whilst on one hand, like, the, you know, we've got this environmental crisis yeah. and then like Carl Lagerfeld's making clothes to go in a forest, but the, the entire set's going to be ripped down and put in a, yeah. you know, burn or put in a tip. You know, just like, what, oh, are we doing? what yeah. is going on? And that's when I started to just go, true luxury is something that we, it, it's, it's something that is actually time, mm. time to think about something time to wait mm-hmm. for something time to commission something time for somebody to make, to make yeah. something that you can that you sit and you wait for something and then finally when you get it delivered mm-hmm. you're like oh, you i've been waiting for this mm-hmm. for so long and that is the nature of true luxury now mm-hmm. the 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 fact that we leave no footprint yeah the fact that we do no damage mm-hmm. that is where true luxury yeah. is is happening this bullshit that we you know people traipse around in in high heels on thick on thick carpets and drink champagne you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not reality. Outdated. Yeah, it's completely disconnected to who we are and the world and what we're doing. So how can we use, you know, as a stylist or a voice within the industry, mm. you know, how can we make sure that we don't do that and, and shift it towards something better, to, towards this time element, this emotional connection, not discarding kind of, you know, really loving again? I think... Um thinking about the destabilization of consumerism. So what, you know, to, to make you overbuy, mm-hmm. what marketing does is destabilize you out of your individuality. Mm-hmm. So it makes you go, I'm not good enough. And if I buy this stuff that everybody else is buying, I will fit in the pack. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there were there, of course there are some people that are leaders and some people that are followers, but for the most part now, we're all being homogenized into looking in the, looking the same way. And even facially. Fa- you know, we're all becoming our own, you know, kind of robotic mm-hmm. memes. You yeah. know, we are, we're becoming our, um, and what are they called? Uh, I can't think of the word. Uh, like our online personalities. And... Avatars. Avatars. We are becoming, <laughs> oh, we're trying, yeah. you know, it's like we're becoming our avatars, yeah. both with surgically and, and, but also sort of morphing into this kind of like, especially with Instagram, this very specific type mm-hmm. of dressing that, it, and it's, uh, I think individuality is being eroded yeah. 
And so I think the resilience and the antidote is it, it, to it is, is if the flip side of the homogenization is individuality on Instagram. So if everybody's like looking for this, there's so there's so much of this sort of alternative personalities, like but they've almost like another kind of fetishization in a way. But it is having things that not everybody else has, things that they can't have, things that you've found, that you've altered, that you've made for yourself. Um, and I don't mean saying at home crafting, but what I mean is, you know, finding an amazing piece and, you know, and having it tailored to your shape. Mm. You know, not just going, oh, it doesn't fit me. So ordering something from Etsy or eBay and, oh, it doesn't fit. You know, it's like, well, make it into something else if it doesn't I'm work or tailored or, or just, you know, or taking it to a tailor, work with somebody. It doesn't cost that much money. Um, I think individuality is, is, is such a rebellion in these days that it, it's finding that. And, um, and some, I think some people are like, well, I don't know who I am. And it's until you sort of strip it all back that you can kind of be like, oh, actually, well, what if you're not buying all the time? It gives you that kind of thing to be like, actually, don't buy a trend. Who are you underneath it? Because I think that especially young women are being forced into being sexualized the whole time. The sort of Kim Kardashian type that I, you know, that I don't think they really understand perhaps sort of like the long-term damage that mm. that does to themselves and others yeah and and sort of um and the women around them and 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 other women which is why i started body of work so body of work project i had taken i guess a leaf out of their book out of the book of the sort of instagram generation and also the kind of love island generation when it's not if you can't beat them join them it's kind of like I'm going to use the visual language that people now understand as my tools to try and, to try to usurp or to sort of like, you know, to sort of like hoodwink a different message into it. So I, as I mentioned before, I started in fashion in the nineties, but I was so pressured, I feel, to succeed. Mm. I didn't get time to kind of be like, actually, who am I within this industry? Because you get sort of swept up by the industry because it's so fast moving yeah. and changed so much. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't get time to be like, how do I feel about this? And actually internally mm-hmm. for a long time, I was a real mess mm-hmm. and really broken. And then, you know, I got very mentally unwell and physically, you know, I was always, always dieting. Physically, I was always trying to be thinner mm-hmm. than I am naturally and got really messed up about it. And so if you fast forward sort of, sort of 20, maybe more years later, after I had my son, my mum died when he was eight weeks old. She had a lifelong eating disorder. And suddenly I was like, my, my life, it basically imploded. Yeah. And I felt like it happened for a reason. Yeah. Because I had, so yeah, I had nothing, nothing. The structures of my life, who I was before, I couldn't even build anything out of the ashes of that. And there was nothing left. And mm. I was like, this is, you get you, you get these moments in life for a reason. And I was like, and also I was just unhappy 
before, even though on the outside people have been like, oh my God, she's famous, yeah. successful. Living the life yeah. and going around. Yeah, and like, you know, taking photos of my new Louboutins all the time. It, I was empty, I was empty yeah. and actually sort of dreadfully unhappy. So I just took this moment to rethink. It took me a, a, a while to just sort of go, to just try and clear my mind of all the stuff that we think that we should be. And just to sit and be quiet for a it's while. Do you think there is no? Bombarded from day one. Really, yeah. And especially as women, and when you have your references as your mom or whoever, you uh-huh. know, it's kind of that's a difficult thing to do, right? Because it's so ingrained. But this is where you know, and I find the mindfulness. You know, you can take it or leave it. But when you've got a really, when you've just got to make some real, like life-affirming decisions, having that sort of mindfulness mindset. Just to kind of be able to go stop the noise. Mm. And the noise for me is like thousands of images every day. So I stop buying magazines. Mm-hmm. I stop consuming media. I stop watching the news. You know, even I stop, you know, I used to love reading the Sunday papers, yeah. but I stopped wanting other people's opinions in my head so I could at least try and hear myself yeah. mm-hmm. and feel what myself needed. Yeah. Um, and that's hard when you're a commuter or you've got, you know, you've got a job and you've got opinions, opinions, opinions. But it's and even... actually you're asked for your opinion on a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. In context relative to what you're talking about, right? Yeah, but I, you know, I, I, ha- I had to take some time out for my mental health. I had to. You know, I would, I would class it as I had a nervous breakdown. But I feel like more it was like actually, it was like, yes, it was that, but my, my life just needed readjusting. Yeah. And I think it's a rare, and I would not wish that on anybody. I would say to people, if you have any questions inside about how you're living your life, the impact you're having in the environment, is try and give yourself that headspace. Mm-hmm. And actually, some of the easiest ways of doing that is going running. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, go, go, go outside, yeah. go and run for half an hour. It doesn't have to be a marathon, mm-hmm. but that is incredible. Yeah. Just being amongst nature mm-hmm. and just going and just breathing breathing and running there's amazing how you can shut out the noise of all of the other stuff and suddenly your own true voice starts coming through and you're like wow hi where have you been yeah. and because, the stillness within that and yeah kind of yeah you can talk and that's to yourself. when the answers start coming yeah and until you can create that space mm-hmm. for yourself the answers don't come but also because consumerism doesn't want yeah. you to be able no. to do that because a destabilized person buys more stuff yeah yeah, and you know, ultimately, these companies are pushing you to buy. So, how did you turn? You know, you've now kind of got no ashes to build from. Mm-hmm. How have you then built back up and listened to this stillness, listened to the the voice within your true self, and kind of built upon that now to this point? I mean, obviously, obviously, for all of us, there's the you know, the big question is how do I marry my pressure to earn Mm -hmm. and sustain like not a you know I have quite a simple lifestyle now but you know it's not like I've moved to an ashram and you know and decided that that's that's it you know I have nothing and there's actually actually most of the time I I could really happily get rid of everything that I own fashion is a coping mechanism for me for the way I was brought Mm -hmm. up so then that's incredibly toxic but 
I feel like that is becoming a whole nother layer for younger people mm-hmm. because their identities are bound up with their photographs and yeah. their photographs are bound up with what clothes they're wearing mm-hmm. and they feel like they can't repeat outfits mm-hmm. and stuff like that and the pressure is unending. Um, but I started a shop. It was a dream. I started a vintage and ethical shop just around the corner from here. Obviously, I had a small child. I thought it was manageable. Mm-hmm. But again, retail is retail. Yeah. And there was and the, the pressure on making that work, you know, it's, um, it's a very different model. Mm-hmm. And I did it for a few years. And then, but I was, uh, I was headhunted to relaunch Zandra Rhodes mm-hmm. and use her archive. Yeah. You know, her her label is as near as ethical as I could get it to. So I was happy working for her. Because obviously, once you step off the, the bandwagon, it's hard to then find pockets of brands that are doing it. Yeah. So Zandra prints, makes, sews everything in her own building in London. You know, and so that, you know, with no mm. kind of hardly any footprint, mm. you know, to me, I was like, I can, yeah. I can do this. I can yeah. live with this. Rolling on from that, I felt like I needed to do more than just one label. Mm-hmm. And actually, I felt like I was having a sort of, again, a personal crisis that I felt like no matter what you do with fashion, you kind of go down one path. Mm-hmm. It's kind of always the same. And perhaps the one thing I had never resolved in my life was the body image thing, because I felt like wherever you went with fashion, it always came down to what models were you booking and how famous were they? And can and, they fit in the clothes and what do the clothes look like? So yeah. I, again, mentally felt like I needed to take a t- time out and that's when I started Body of Work and I started it mostly because my mum had died, you know, whole, you know, almost wholly because of her eating disorder issues, which then gave her mental health issues. And I was like, I can't be on this planet just to sell stuff. Yeah. And I needed to have that moment of feeling like I was apologizing for going back to the, the work that I did at the beginning where I didn't think about how this was affecting other women. Because you don't, because you're so... Head down looking. Yeah, to, I'm trying to succeed. And so you don't, when you're from a, coming from a, a, a junior place, you don't get to like call the shots. You don't get to go, actually, uh, actually really famous male photographer. I really uncomfortable with her boobs out and yeah. stuff like that. Now I obviously would. And I think what I think is great is the power that Instagram has given women yeah. is they are finally, the voices has been taken away from the male photographer. They've been taken away from the editors to be like, you know, it's a democratic space. No matter what's, no matter the downside of it. Mm. There's a democracy to how women want to see themselves mm-hmm. displayed. And there is a, there's a whole conversation about like inhaled misogyny, regurgitated misogyny. Mm. And also what, I'm, what I and other people are doing and going, okay, you know what? If I'm not going to be represented anywhere else, I'm going to represent myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you start an open dialogue with women that has been shut down mm-hmm. because of the destabilization process so if you're not part of a community you know if you're safe and happy in a community you don't need all that stuff yeah you're like actually your friends are backing you up you don't care if you're pin thin because you're like you're happy you know what do you need talking to the people around yeah and that's all that matters yeah how have you found actually the reaction to your body of work project then oh um like properly amazing um I didn't, I didn't know what it would be. I just, I felt an urgency mm-hmm. to do it. And actually the original idea came as a reaction to my role on Prince Extra Model. 
in which wasn't an easy process for me. TV is a very um, edited process. And I felt like I had been become a caricature of a, of a fashion bitch. And so as a reaction to that, because obviously my mum in the background is dying of an eating disorder and I've got girls tweeting me going, what size is normal? And I'm like, there is no, there's no such thing as normal. No such thing as a size normality. It's about you being happy and healthy and here and how you achieve that. Um, and if that's go running or if that's, you know, or it doesn't matter what actual size you are, if you're happy and healthy. I wasn't happy and healthy at the time, but as a, I felt like as I needed to do a personal yeah. project because I felt like I'd had my voice taken away. So I wanted to get um, a group of um, influential women. And this was only when Twitter was around. It, Instagram hadn't started. So it was much more hard to do yeah. in a, a visual project. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get influential women who had become successful not because of their body type. So they didn't have to like snap back body because they're in TV or they didn't have to, you know, this sort of stuff. It was like they could be chefs or they could be scientists. And I wanted to do a nudes project. So, you know, to show their different body shapes. Now with hindsight, it, it, it's still objectifying the female body to get a message across. So it's like a double-edged sword in a way. But at the time, it, it was, again, I was at two ahead of the time because... It didn't, it, people didn't necessarily get it and I didn't know where to put it. Was it a press project? You know, there wasn't the outlet of just doing a visual project and knowing that thousands and thousands could see it. Yeah. You know, I would have to, yeah, work with a gallery. I'd have to be a curator. And it just didn't fly until I felt this pressure. And I felt like I was waiting and waiting and waiting for a photographer to, for, to turn up as the structure, but not even the structure of my career. The whole kind of gaslighting of being brought up in the 80s that a Disney, a Disney guy, you know, a Disney prince was going to turn up and save me or just like do the stuff. And I just got to the point where I was like, nobody's going to yeah. turn up. I've got to do this myself. And I just grabbed an iPhone, my son, did a photo and went, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling mental. I'm feeling like I've been on holiday. I've been in a bikini for two weeks. I'm, incre I'm incredibly lucky to be here. Why am I so unhappy? Why am I feeling so crazy? And I've never had a response like it. Just not as in validation, not as in likes, but the conversations and people were DMing me. And it was just, and I was suddenly felt like I was speaking the same, the right language. Yeah. Because in fashion, I'd always felt like I was speaking a different language to somebody else, not the... I wasn't speaking fashion language. And finally, I was like, this is my tribe. Mm -hmm. These are the people that we're speaking our truths yeah. going, I'm this, I'm, I don't feel like I'm cut out for this. This is not working. This is making me unhappy that, you know, no matter how thin or fit or rich or successful I am, I am still unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't live like this. And so I just decided that I needed to talk about it. And then as I needed to put some structure into it, I decided that there needed to be like an MO, like a modus operandi. So the rules became no fashion tricks, obviously because styling yeah. had always been my thing. So strip that away. No retouch, mm -hmm. because I think that actually we, we know, and I've been involved in retouching women, you know, and you're just brutal. Oh yeah, yeah, shave that off, do this, that and the other. Oh, we'll do that in post. 
yeah. and it becomes a language you don't think about and you yeah. don't think about the effect on other people mm -hmm. until it happens to you. So when I feel like fashion and TV had spat me out or I'd sort of self-sabotaged because I could no longer do it, I was suddenly on the other end of it, of being like, oh, these images are making me feel, but actually they don't had all along. Mm. I was just desperately trying to make myself work or make myself so good that they didn't affect me. But a lot of the time working with models, I'd come home like, oh my God, more. you know. Um, so no clothes, no retouch, no diet and no workout schedule. And these are key because I feel like the, now it's it's all like work out for your selfie, mm. your revenge look, or your kind of like every celebrity mm. is doing their juice fasting, or they've got their workout thing, or they're just doing their videos the whole time, you know. Mm. And at first, I felt angry about those women in the in the public eye who were doing that relentlessly, mm. and I was like, they're just caught up in the same yeah. like evil machine, and it's not their fault what they need to so instead of pointing a finger being like oh this woman's doing that what I felt is I had to show everybody what I felt inside and so the and so doing a nude with the contacts that I have so the the rebellious part mm. of it like the provocative part is going back and only working with photographers that I've worked with photographers that have retouched photographers that have done yeah. all of that stuff and then putting myself in it and and for them to them mm. think oh Right, this still looks like my work, but that's just a kind of like average body. Mm. You know, it's not an extreme body either way. You know, and that's why I don't call myself a BOPO or body positive kind of mm. campaigner or activist. Whilst I love, would, would love to be, I'd love to think that that's what I'm mm. doing, but I don't want to be criticised for what size I am. You're it's, just you and your own body and yeah, representing how you feel. Yeah. yeah, and just trying to show the tricks within high production mm. fashion photography because that's my remit yeah. of of what the difference between... Because, you know, many, many um, high-end celebrity photographers and retouchers, you know, this isn't a campaign of hate. They say that, that the talent, the celebrities, are too scared yeah. to show any imperfections or any flesh. And I think that unless there's a whole, unless I'm doing this and other people are doing, you know, it's not going to happen. Demi Lovato mm -hmm. the other day did, you know, she said, I have been terrified of this moment. Yeah. This is me unedited in a bikini. I mean, that, and the, yeah. the fact that that is a first yeah. is like yeah. bonkers, you know, and I've been doing this for a year and I'm seeing the trickle through. Yeah. I'm starting to see people are like, you know, and it's the fear, like getting over that barrier because you don't have a support mechanism. Yeah. So you create, you you know, you are creating this kind of place or this safe space where people can just become. Yeah. And it's amazing. The minute you face up to your biggest fear, which for a lot of people yeah. is being naked and photographed, then actually you just let stuff go. You're like, because we microanalyze our images. We microanalyze what we look like because that is the pressure that is put on yes. women. And so once you sort of give that up and you start to go, actually, I'm not that bad. Really, is this, is that bad? You know, is that, is that terrible? And once that, that iron grip mm. is let go, it's incredible how life flows a bit more. Mm. And it's, it's, for me, I would like to take the project bigger. And bearing in mind, I'm, nobody's paying me to do this, is to 
hold the hand. So what I used to do as a stylist, you know, and also sort of guiding people through what to wear is guiding people through doing a nude shot and then being, and then seeing them come out of the other side to being that really that nerves. I mean, the first time I was working with a photographer and he was like, so I had my gown kind of here and he was like, you know, you you have to drop the gown. And I was like, I thought I was going to vomit yeah. on the floor right there and then. And then I just dropped it. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird. And then it was just kind of work as usual. Yeah. He's like, look this way, look that way, do this, do that. Okay. And he's like, look at the monitor. And I'm not a model, but what I would love do to know do is... how to, to hold yourself and like... You learn stuff yeah. over the years. Yeah. But what I would love to, if I could impart anything now, and this is the point of which that I want to give back, is that I would love to give people the shutteries their own shutteries mm. but then i just go okay this is this is the angle that you're going to be yes. shot from because obviously you they don't necessarily it. know yeah. you know unless you're going to do a wall of mirrors yeah. and then i mean the cost of that is just like <laughs> beyond but i would like to try to turn it into something else mm. because i think it's so needed, it's needed yeah definitely um, that kind of comes on quite nicely too. We had a, a question from a lady called Jade who started um, a company called Lonehood, which is basically a rental company for clothing, obviously. Great, sustainability, um, sustainability yes. Sustainability, yes. And she actually is a model herself. She's okay. from Middlesbrough, which is kind of near where I was brought up. So I was born in Newcastle, kind of moved near there. And she um, actually was on Britain's Next Top Model. Oh, so not on my one though. No, I think you were maybe a little bit later okay. as a judge, but... Um, she wants to know how can, what do you feel the direction of the future of modelling and ethicality and ethics around modelling is, and also how can models then use their position of power to, to make the world a better place or to support this kind of like body positivity or you know nudge how you are doing as well you know. So I think that's a brilliant question. I think if you look at the sort of modern modeling success stories i think the leadership is there so if you look at adwa if you look at charlie howard and her story is that she talked out against her agents for saying that she wasn't thin enough and by their standards she probably wasn't but she she has made a career out of not being standard you know um, model size she's got a book out she's got a makeup range and i think that you know yes Modeling, there is that thing that you have to become a brand. And I think that there is a hell of a lot of pressure. But I think in terms of ethics and pushing back, I think about, think about consistency. Look, mm-hmm. you can be ethical or not ethical. That's your choice, but at least be consistent yeah. with it. So, you know, you can't do Primark and, you know, Greenpeace and, you know, and, and you can't be a campaigner and then on the flip side, go and do the kind of high street stuff. I think Emma Breshi is somebody who, she's like an, you know, because you can be an Instagram model yeah. now and not have to be just well, with a model agency. on your cards now. Right, so. sure, because you're following. And that's why you have to be interesting. It's like, you know, you have to be, you have to have an opinion yeah. or you have to basically whore yourself out. You know, you have to wear as little clothes as possible. And I'm like to girls like, no, don't do that. Please choose art over just become like a sort of Insta whore. Um, I think that, pushing back on your brands, asking if it is through your agent, not being afraid to go, what's that, what, what, what's their, what's their policies? You know, because if you are going to physically 
being represent this brand you are almost a first port of call because i know that they're gonna you're just gonna turn up on the day and you don't really have to think Mm. about it but you're going to be on all of the billboards and actually now you can get you can be absolutely taken to task on instagram by people going well you know why why are you doing that you know why why would you back up that brand and it can be a rabbit hole Mm. so i think thinking about the sort of campaigns that you Mm. take and also going to people yeah. and saying, I think that, you know, and, and not being, every time I've put energy out there, because energy creates energy, every time I've written to somebody or like actually, you know, DM them and been terrified, but the result has always been positive mm-hmm. because if people don't know that you're interested, they're never going to know. You don't exist to them. Yeah. So, you know, commenting on people's brands you like that is that are ethical, mm-hmm. saying, I'd love to model for you. I'd love to represent you. Or reposting stuff, just generally sort of getting behind stuff, putting the energy. One of my things that um, I wanted to talk about was my sort of um, raison d'etre, things that I've learned in life is it's the same as driving, right? And the driving will start to say, you're going to look Wait, you're going to go where you look. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're driving and you sort of look that. You just end up sort of like vying off that way. Yeah. Life is exactly the same. Where you focus your energy is what will happen. It will yeah. manifest. So if you're not putting the energy in there, in there and just being like, oh, I'll just do this because it comes, come, mm-hmm. come in. It's you're not going to go in that direction. Yeah. It's literally sort of having a, a roadmap. Yeah. And, you know, yes, you sort of go off the path, but having a point to focus on to move towards it's been the biggest thing that I've learned because you can feel a bit lost sometimes you don't really know and putting energy out there all the time is exhausting but it's when it starts to come back to you it starts when it starts to recharge you again that's right and you go oh I am am in control of this thing because a lot of the time with agents and our careers you don't necessarily feel in control but if you're putting the stuff out there and going I want to do that I want to do this. You you are putting yourself in control. And I think, you know, saying to your, having the conversation with your agent saying, you know, I want to do more ethical work. And the more that models push back yeah. on saying no to the unethical mm. brands, no to the high street until they sort it out, until yeah. they can really show them that, you know, that they can say this has been made in a way that you would be yeah. proud of, then, you know, the, then they, they're not going to change. Yeah. So and I, that, I know that means maybe a financial sacrifice mm. on somebody's behalf. But hey, it has to happen mm. because the bottom line isn't always profit. Yeah. yeah. Got to come up with a different version yeah. of success and yeah. what is yeah, successful. Um, just thinking about talking about the high street and, and different shapes and sizes yeah. and, and um, the work that I do with Fashion Roundtable and our um, representation and inclusion survey could you just think a little bit about how you envisage the future of fashion in the sense of what would this inclusive world look like? What would a brand look like? Kind of, um, I mean, is that is that something that you could think about? Or do you think it's just everything, everybody, you know, kind of, because, yeah, what what does it look like? What does this world that we're trying to aim towards really look like? I mean, I, I, I don't know, because some days I'm just like, it all just needs to stop. You know, if we go, if we go to Extinction Rebellion sort of side of things, I'm like, we don't need one more piece of clothing on the planet because there's already enough in circulation that we could take a break, 
you know, but then we have, there are other reasons why, you know, it's, economy is cyclical. So, you know, we wouldn't have, so if we weren't, didn't have the fashion companies paying taxes, rents, this sort of stuff, we also wouldn't have the NHS and the other stuff that our taxes pays for. So we can't just all of a sudden grind to a halt. So we have to find a way of a more sustainable production. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we were, we were talking about earlier, so Maslow's, what is it? Hierarchy, the hierarchy of needs has clothing yeah. in it. So it's one of the things we need as humans. So we can't just go like, like we could do away with tobacco and alcohol. You know, there could be prohibition, but we still need to wear clothes. Mm-hmm. Whether we would run out of clothes if we stopped making them now, um, I just think there are slightly different models. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the, I still work on one small fashion brand because I still love fashion. I love the way that you feel that's above and beyond when you put something incredible or something that you love on, yeah. that, that you can feel protected, you can feel... Um, highlighted. You can feel so many different things by this thing and you can feel like you're walking on air. Um, But I just think that we need to slow the process down that it's not a new thing that Mm -hmm. makes that happen. So it becomes from Mm -hmm. us, the consumer, that we have to to stop our addiction to those things. We all know alcohol Mm -hmm. and cigarettes and drugs are not good for us. It's just that you're not putting fast fashion in your body. You're putting it on it. Mm-hmm. But very soon it's going to become apparent yeah. that actually it's going to, it is going to make us all sick. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to have clean air. We're not going to have clean water. You know, and that yeah. goes on. And so doing it now before it becomes like full on emergency, yeah. some people would say we are already in full on emergency. It's because it's not on our doorsteps because yeah. we're removed from it. Mm-hmm. But if you lived in Bangladesh, I think you'd be having a different conversation right now. Um, the model that I work on with my brand, Kitty Joseph, is that we are trying to do a slow fashion, fast delivery, which means that it's made bespoke, which means you can be inclusive because you can make to any size. So it's about having simple patterns mm-hmm. that can fit all bodies yeah. and then you cut them when people want to order them. And do they send their size into you? Or how yeah, so work? they just, you know, we, we obviously we can go from extra small to whatever, but if they say, I'm this measurement here, this measurement here, this measurement here, it's like semi-bespoke, yeah. but trying to get it out there to them, you know, within within a sort of relatively quick time. It won't happen overnight because you'd still be sweat shopping, but, you know, within a week, and it's just like so people can kind of go, actually, a week, two weeks, three weeks, I'm going to wait for something yeah. for once. It's about being, it's not having that sort of mad candy floss crack kind of, I'm going to order this now, I'm going to have it in a couple of hours and I'm going to wear it and I'm going to get the high and then I'm going to come down and probably never wear it again because it's only serving this kind of addiction. And so um, by not having stock made, Mm -hmm. we're not wasting it. So we're not going, okay, let's make 60 size 14s and let's say we don't, sell them all and then slashing the price and reducing the value of the garment so we also we don't really take we don't really do seasonal we don't take things off the site because people we hope that we make clothes that's we're not on the model of being like saying that this is hot only right now and then by and then tearing it all down to make more money and going this is hot right now and then you know it's, it's it's not this crash and burn cycle 
it's people can come back in three months time they can come back in six months time it's still there so that they can go actually i've saved up and actually i like that and i want it in a different color anyway because it suits me yeah it fits me yeah 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 absolutely (laughs) so we're trying to do a model and it's not that easy but i think that if people all if people started to think again that's the real luxury having something made for you something that's bespoke You know, we've only been doing ready-to-wear. Our bodies have been numbers for 50, 60 years. You know, so it's just reverting to a thing where we used to have clothes made for us. Having clothes made for us now is an utter luxury. But if we can put that into a a part of a business structure that doesn't have to be luxury prices, it's just how the business is structured, I think that that everyone can move forwards in a way so you're not manufacturing you're not manufacturing in china india all of the footprints the flying in and out like the people having stuff made in china and then components being flown to italy and then finished there just so they can have made in italy kind of label on them and like one garment you know so I've, i've spoken to people in production and the different bits of a garment have been have got more they've flown around the world like once just to be made yeah and you're just like, yeah, it's at nuts. what cost? Yeah. We have to keep thinking that. Yeah. You know, I just think that going back to that in individuality piece, again, gives everybody back, gives models, designers, anybody, anybody who you are, that stance to go, I can make the decision that I want to mm-hmm. make. Um, and I think that that um, is the only way like, is to, to be self-resilient that kind of um, trying to find out who you are in the in the noise, taking back your own power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if and especially for women, if at the moment our purse is our power, then thinking about where you're spending it, and it's a really easy thing to do. It doesn't take long. Mm-hmm. When you're buying a takeaway coffee and a takeaway coffee cup, cup, or if you're buying from Zara, and just being like, "Do I need this? Mm-hmm. Do I need this?" And what impact is this going to have globally? You know, what impact has it had? And then where is it going? Yeah. You know, and if and great if your budget is Zara, and you can do your thirty wears, but instead of you know instead of thinking, it's taking that moment at the till or when you're, because I understand it because, I. Of an addictive personality, I was absolutely mad. I used to buy and buy and buy. So I've had to stop and just take that breath before you buy it, before you, when you're crazed and you're going, this will make me feel better. Or, you know, it's just that moment to go, do I need this? You know, because we all do it. You know, I'm still guilty of like falling into that, buying those dresses on Instagram that come from China. And you're just, and I'm just like, it's got me at a weak moment because. We're not all resilient. And it's, that takes a lot. In the face of the thousands and thousands of images we see a day, to try and be resilient yeah. is a full-time job. Well, it's every second. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're yeah. going to fall down. But if we just take a breath, and that's part of mindfulness yeah. to go, do I need this? And what place is it coming mm. from? What place is it coming from? Is it coming from I feel insecure? I feel sad. I feel angry. What is my need to buy this thing? And if it's not like an actual need, then yeah. it's quite, it's actually easier. It's easier to step away and go, I'm going to, uh, if I give it a night, if you're still feeling that, you know, cause it's like a, yeah. it's like a crazed urge that you're like, I need to have this. And all of the, 
all the rhetoric around all of this stuff is get it now. It's gone in like this has gone out of your basket in an hour, blah, blah, blah. It's based on that panic part of yourself. And if you still love it overnight, go back. But if you can detach the addict part of your brain that is what everyone's Mm -hmm. tapping into to go, just go step away. I don't actually need it. Then you're you're putting those boundaries up because it seems we're boundaryless yeah. now. We have no resilience, and that is for me is just that resilient that that thought of like where is this need or desire coming from? If we take a beat, mm. take a breath, and go. Actually, I don't really need yeah, this. It doesn't matter. What's next for you? So body of work. Oh, yeah. Still growing and kind of. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I said I want to. I want to really grow body of work. I'm writing a book about my crazy, insane journey burning through the fashion industry about how it affected my mental health, about how we look for identity, female identity, you know, about the how that manifested in myself um, and um, hopefully growing some more small businesses in better models to to sort of not as the not as the counterbalance not as the antidote but just trying to because if I don't put my 20 year experience somewhere I feel like just big big business wins and so by backing up a small designer as we all can you know I'm putting my money where my mouth is by eschewing like big I, I could be earning big money, but I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is get behind a small yeah. business and help that grow for the greater good of everybody else. Because it's, you know, I could, but I, ha- I had to make that decision for my mental health because I couldn't live with the way that I was mm-hmm. kind of being. And I think that if anybody's got that doubt inside them, they have to follow that path yeah. too. So, yeah, I don't really know. But, you know, I, I hope my thing now is, I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I think we can create a better industry because fashion particularly was not a kind industry. Mm-hmm. I think it's becoming better by, by being so exclusive that it was always like any sort of behavior was justified by bottom line. Yeah. It's an industry, darling, you know, just toughen up. You know, that whole thing, you know, if you're going to cry, go outside. It's like, I just, I can't, I can't stand by that. So, you know, and if that means I don't work in the fashion industry, then fine. But what I will do is try and help people be more resilient to the messaging that I think is kind of almost impossible to avoid. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I can't live on a planet where that's the messaging that I'm putting across. Thank you. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com.